everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director. I am your host, Jaime Cabrera, Executive Creative Director for many, many, many years. Grizzled veteran, seasoned professional. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, I'm in a good mood. How's everybody doing? Hope you guys are, are doing well. Uh, we've had uh, a couple of crazy, exciting, busy weeks at work. Everything's uh, kind of chugging along. As I mentioned on the previous episode, I had gone through kind of a little bit of a work burnout, uh, and I kind of made it through on the other end, um, feeling um, good, positive, uh, looking forward to uh, 2022. I still want to talk about that, so I am collecting a, a group of uh, creative directors to talk about the whole phenomenon of uh, sort of creative burnout, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, but on today's show, I have a very special guest, Tom Wolf, who's executive creative director for a hybrid brand strategy and design firm called VSA Partners. They are headquarters out of Chicago, uh, but he actually has moved to Palm Springs. Uh, lucky guy, he gets to hang out in, um, in beautiful, sunny Palm Springs and and have a great old time. But we had a great conversation Great origin story for Tom. He is a fine artist who found his way into making uh, album artwork, uh, which is kind of really cool, especially nowadays. We don't really think about that uh, much anymore, right? It's all become sort of thumbnails and little Spotify videos and things like that. But that's kind of how he cut his teeth. And he is a Grammy Award-winning designer and he'll talk a little bit more about that but wrap your head around that how how cool that is and that was from a project working with one of the biggest artists of all time so that's pretty cool uh, and then he goes on to share a lot of really great insights about working with his team and about you know using mimicry to hone your skills as a designer really we had a a wide varying conversation and it was really great to uh, talk to a new Californian and fellow executive creative director. So, without further ado, Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf, how are you, my friend? Very good. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. Um, I, I love I love the name, by the way. If there if there was ever a, a movie about executive creative directors, <laughs> you know that that would be the name, right? And yeah. Tom Tom Wolf as. Yeah, the yeah. executive creative director. Well, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you making the time. Um, I just realized for some reason I thought you were, you know, in the Midwest somewhere, but you're actually in in sunny Palm Springs. So yes. lucky all, you. All new to me. I'm really uh, enjoying my time out here. It's a big change of pace. I grew up and was born and raised in Chicago. So this is all new to me. So real quick, before we get into some, some, um, some questions here, what, what, uh, what prompted the move? Uh, I assume maybe it had something to do with COVID or yeah, what was the impetus? Yeah, uh, I came out here uh, last November um, knowing that you know, COVID was going to allow us some time away from the office and might as well uh, work somewhere warm. So I thought I'd come here and avoid the Chicago weather. And, uh, and that just kind of led from one thing to another. And here I am permanently now. 
That's pretty cool. And 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 you're an artist. You're a fine artist as well. I see one of your your pieces of work behind you. So I assume that you landed one of those beautiful mid-century modern homes in in Palm Springs. That's my dream. So even if you didn't, just go along with it. Did, did yes. you? Are you in a kind oh, of in a, exactly. in a ranch? Are you in a ranch style kind of mid-century modern uh, place? Overlooking the whole valley. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's right next to Bob Hope's place, you know, so. <laughs> are you being serious? Because I'm coming over there if you are. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm much farther away from Bob Hope's place. But uh. All right, all right. Well, cool. Well, welcome, uh, welcome to California. It's always uh, good to have more uh, creative folks uh, here, of course. Not, uh, you know. Obviously, there's a ton of creative folks, but more people that are in our industry specifically. And yeah. before we get started, let's have a little toast here. I like we'll, that. We'll, we'll toast to yeah. your to your um, new California citizenship. Cheers. Welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. What are you drinking? Mm. Uh, I am drinking a Stiegel Rattler. To me, oh. a Stiegel Rattler is kind of like summer in a can. You know, it's just a perfect, refreshing light drink after work i just had one of those it's the grapefruit and beer right yeah Which, sure. oh yeah that's tasty yeah. i'm having a grapefruit and uh, soda and tequila so paloma yeah. i'm yeah. having that so excellent excellent it's also one of my favorite like design labels you know the, the stiegel rattler design is really beautiful yeah that's cool i had never heard of it um i thought that it was i i just um I had it over the weekend, and I thought the drink itself was called a, a Rattler. I didn't realize that was the brand name, so I'll have to pick the, that up because it was it was definitely very uh, tasty. Right. So, so uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing. You work for a great agency called VSA Partners. I looked at the work you guys are doing. Work for a couple of brands that I really love, Diodario and yeah. um, and, and Cole Han. So before we go. Hopefully you have some some discount codes you can send my way because I definitely like I definitely like both of those products. But tell me a little bit about the agency. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do, what the secret sure. sauce is. Just give me the, yeah. the rundown. Yeah. So VSA Partners is a uh, hybrid brand strategy and design agency. Um, you know, we were uh, founded in Chicago and that's kind of our roots. But we have offices in New York and San Francisco as well. And, you know, we really um believe in this idea of, of hybrid. It's a, a word that is very of the moment right now, um, but we think it is always applied to our business. We've always been this hybrid between left brain and right brain thinking, being able to take strategy and marry it with design and creative to create compelling solutions for our customers and clients. So that is kind of a little bit of our, our DNA uh, we have worked with a, a lot of the, the major brands, uh, Google, Nike, IBM, uh, long-standing relationship with Harley-Davidson, Mack mm -hmm. Trucks, Con Converse. And like you said, some of the, my personal favorites, things that I worked on with Daddario, uh, is, is just a great, great brand to work with. So really storied brands. I'm really proud to have had an influence on the direction of those brands. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's kind of a, a an A list there of of brands to have uh, worked with. So yeah. uh, congratulations! And then before that, you kind of took a, a secure circuitous route <laughs> into into advertising and marketing, right? Tell us a little bit about that because I was you've you've yeah. got one one big name drop that I think everybody will be <laughs> impressed by. But uh, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I started off my career early on. 
you know, coming out of school, I had started to work at a, a record store and I was, I was in charge of buying a lot of music for the, the record store. And I would get in different reps from record labels coming in. And one guy came in and he was like, I'm starting up my own thing and it's here and I need someone who's doing artwork. And you know anyone who's doing artwork? And I'd been studying fine art and I was like, I think album covers would be really awesome to design. I would love yeah. to get into that. And this was kind of, you know, at that heyday where, you know, LPs and CDs were, were reigning king and there was that physical experience that you had with packaging. And uh, I really jumped into the chance, didn't know anything about graphic design and, and really learned on the fly and in literally somebody's garage, you know, so it was That's pretty cool. It was an exciting start and it really led to uh, a lot of other experiences uh, designing, I think, over 300 albums over the course of my time. Uh, me and my best friend started our own little company and, and we started to tackle uh, album cover projects for all different genres of music from jazz and classical, heavy metal, punk. It was, it was all across the board. Everything that you can think of, we've dabbled in. Uh, so that was always exciting. But finally, after about, uh, you know, a, a few years of, of struggling, you know, we kind of got our first big break. And, and that came, and I remember the day when we got this call. Yeah. We've been talking to a lot of the major record levels and doing, doing work for some of their smaller acts. And then we finally got a call from uh, a creative director over at Maverick Records at the time. And he was talking about a new project for Madonna. And yeah. <laughs> my, my friend Greg was taking the phone call and he was writing it out and he was just like, Madonna. And he was like, oh, maybe this is some new artist that kind of has a <laughs> name or something like that. But no, it was Madonna. And uh, the project that we got to work on was the uh, Ray of Light album. And it was a fantastic project to work on. Um, it was something that you know led to uh, a Grammy nomination and the packaging actually won uh, Best Packaging for that. Wow. So... It was pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Oh my gosh. That's it. That's the end of the interview. Mic drop there. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, I did have one other experience cool. that kind of, that later, you know, later on tailed into that. And that was, that work led us to do some work for uh, Billy Corrigan at the, of the Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. And we got to design their, their final album as their original group. Wow. That's very cool. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, how do you so now you know so now you you've you've transition transitioned you're a you're a creative director now you know you're going from in some ways although i guess you could consider album art sort of commercial art but you're going from fine art in a sense down to to sort of commercial art right which i yeah. which is what i like to call sometimes what what we do it's different it so is. as a creative director in that role um, it, sorry, in that world, how would you describe the role of a creative director for, for marketing specifically? Oh, yeah. So um, the way that, you know, and I think you've heard this a lot of times is that there is, you know, the creative director being this kind of linchpin that kind of brings in and bridges together a lot of dis different disciplines. So bringing together strategy, making sure that we are aligned on, on that strategy bringing creative together to make sure that we're fulfilling that strategy. Uh, production is executing it. Uh, so bringing all those disparate uh, practices together, making sure that we are all aligned together and working in conjunction together and that all of those things are, you know, satisfying the client needs, you know, 
right. that client at top of mind all the way through the process. So, and, and you know, currently in your role now, how big is the team that you oversee? And is it is it across the board? It's designers, copywriters. Is it the whole lot? It, it ranges. You know, right now I uh, oversee about half of the creative in the Chicago office. Um, and includes multiple teams, multiple accounts, multiple projects, um, a handful of, of designers and ACDs uh, throughout. And while I don't have direct responsibility over some of the other practices like uh, strategy and writing and those nature, we, I have counterparts in those levels. We all do work together as a team. So we do need to make sure that we're all closely aligned in, in how we are approaching the project and that we don't necessarily hand off like you know one discipline like here it is it's done and now my job is done strategy sticks with it all the way through i'm involved in a lot of the strategy stuff up front just to be understanding of what the conversations are happening with the client and understanding the challenges that they're starting to uncover and how they're tackling those things so it's a really nice way of working that everyone is involved in all aspects of the project. So we all understand the route that we've taken to get there. And then we're not just siloed into what we specifically contribute. So this is something that I've been talking to, uh, uh, talking with a lot of folks about, and that's, it's about creative strategy. Right. And I think, I think that, you know, everybody sort of has a different definition of what that is. Mm-hmm. In your mind, how would you define, you know, strategy in terms of what we do or creative strategy? How would you define it? Because I think everybody sort of sees it a little bit different differently. I'm trying to find the, the yeah. best definition of it. Well, I think it's interesting for us, since we have these two halves of the, of, um, the creative process, the strategy and the, the design, it's interesting to think that our capabilities for both of those areas are very similar. In strategy, they are either helping to define the brand or activate the brand. And what I mean by that is like defining the brand through understanding the the brand purpose, creating brand narratives, um, all of that kind of definitional work about who we are as a as a company as a brand. They also do some activation work, you know, things like how do we go to market? How do we launch the, the new brand? How do we migrate um, other existing brands that a company may have acquired? And how do we bring those brands into the unified master brand? So there's a lot of that kind of strategic thinking that is not only definitional, but is also planning and activation. On the other side of the, the house, we have our design process, and that follows a very similar type of approach as well. We have activities that are all about defining the brand, thinking about like naming, identity, brand expression. All of those things are definitional. How do you define the company, the look and feel of a company? And then we also do a lot of activation, you know, taking what we've designed and creating a brand from scratch and then um, expanding upon it and activating it into digital and physical experiences. So... It's interesting that both strategy and design follow the same process of either defining the brand or activating the brand. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, tell me a little bit about your process or the process that you try to impart um, onto your team. Like, 
give yeah. me some give me some nuts and bolts here like what yeah. what is a what is a you know day in the life of you really getting in there and mixing yeah. it up with your team what's that what does that look like sure well i think it all starts with this idea of understanding you can't really define or just start to design a project until you understand what it is that you're going to design understand you know what the client challenge is who the audience is and what their needs are understanding the whole context of the problem. Um, and until you do that, you can't really just start designing. Otherwise, it's more just decoration. It was interesting. I had a, um, an experience one time with a, a designer where um, we were working on a project where a client had given us a, an infographic to design mm -hmm. and to bring into the kind of the new look and feel of the brand expression that we had created. They wanted to update this graphic. And so I'd given it to one of my designers to kind of implement and take our existing style and try to incorporate it into this new application. Um, and when I finally got the results back and reviewing the process, I was looking at this infographic and I couldn't understand what it was trying to communicate. I, I couldn't understand the chart. It wasn't very informative. And I asked the designer, what does this mean? And they were like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of applied the, the graphics, the color, the type. I, I changed all the thing to look like the brand, but I didn't solve the problem of what the graphic was trying to communicate. Yeah. And, and that's when I was like, oh, no, we need to go back to the client and understand what it is that they're trying to communicate with this graphic before we can start designing it. So I'm a firm believer in reading and understanding, knowing what it is before you even put pen to paper. Uh, otherwise, you're just kind of spinning your wheels. And so are there some tools or things that you use to get that? Obviously, huh. it sounds like, you know, like, you know, what you're a lot of what you're talking about is a brief. But are there other things that you do with the client to try to extract that yeah. information from them? Because, you know, it's it's surprising how hard that can be sometimes. Right. It's like yeah. just trying to get the information. But yeah, we try to make design to be a less uh, subjective type of uh, endeavor. You know, so what we try to do is try to make sure that we can always um, link our creative to the strategy and showing how the creative is paying off that strategy, uh, making sure that the client understands there's a close linkage between the two because they've just spent, you know, a lot of time on the strategy. They spent, you know, months on it uh, and, and a lot of money to develop and really hone in on what their message is, what their, their challenges are. And now they have they've come to a decision on what it is that they want to convey to the rest of the world and it is our job to owe to bring that message to life so i want to make sure that we're always paying off on the strategy and we design a, a set of design principles hmm. and and these design principles that we use are are kind of like the key themes that we hear in strategy so we'll look at you know the the company's position their brand character, and try to determine what are the key themes that we keep seeing populate, and then try to um, think of ways that we can use design elements like color, and typography, and photography. How do those things convey some of those themes? So it might be as simple as a theme like, um, oh, like one of the things I'm working on is uh, a company that is their audience is a middle American, hardworking, uh, middle class uh, worker 
that is struggling, you know, right now in this time of pandemic, and how do we how do we talk to that person? And we started to think about different types of words that we want to make sure convey this sensitivity to that audience. And you know, we first thought of like humanity. You know, everyone talks about being human, trying to be warm and approachable and things like that, which is good. But I try to go a little bit more specific. What is it about humanity that we want to say to this this audience? And the the word that we came up with was the idea of dignity. Dignity is a very specific kind of connotation and how we're um, thinking about our, our audience, trying to approach them in a way that is respectful, that is empathetic and understanding of where they're at and meeting them where they are. So then how can we use design elements to convey that sense of, of dignity? You know, and you think about it in photography selection and style that you're, you're not going to put uh, people like in a fashion, you know, right. uh, type of shoot. You're going to try to portray them where they are at in their normal everyday lives to make sure that they know that we get them. We understand. We're empathetic. We, we hear you and we really want to respond to your needs and not trying to put our own kind of projections of where we want the brand to go. And so, um, and this is a, this is a sort of a silly question, but you know, obviously you're, you're a visual person, right? But yeah. you're starting with the words. Yeah. How has that journey been for you? Have you always been comfortable with words and language? Cause I agree that that's kind of where you sort of need to start for the most part. Sometimes I think, um, you can go headfirst into the visuals, but I think the language is important, right? Has it that is. always so? You know, if you weren't if you weren't doing this, you I looked at some of your your work, your fine artwork, and it's beautiful. A lot Thanks. of collage collage work. I assume that if you weren't doing this type of thing, that you would be doing that. Is that it? Is that accurate? Or what would you be doing if you weren't a creative director? What would you, you know, what else yeah. would you I think that's interesting. I feel like the artwork is is a an avenue that I would love to explore more and, and have a little bit more um, experience in it. But is it something I would want to do for a living? I'm not too sure about it because my, my fine art is much more uh, instinctual and emotional and it, it takes a lot out of me, you know? So to, to try to do that on an ongoing basis could be exhausting. Really? Yeah. Yeah, my fine art... Go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. I was going to say, my fine art tends to be, you know, very personal in nature, uh, more therapeutic, kind of working out things almost on a subconscious level. So it's a way for me to... Um, explore an avenue of creativity that is completely different than my day job. My day job is primarily analytical and thinking logistic logically about how creativity solves problems. And then in my fine art, it is more about the, the creative aspect to uncover uh, emotional conflict, you know, trying to understand life. Yeah. Do you ever find, um, do you ever find the need or the desire to want to take, um, a, 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 I don't know if technique's the right word, but I'll just say technique, yeah. 
a, a technique or kind of a go-to move from one world and bring it into the other. So in other words, you know, do you ever find yourself going, if I could just tap into this raw, you know, thing here, I could really make this, uh, you know, design work here for my client yeah. or, you know, it's like, Hey, let me take a step back and look at my, my personal art here in a more logical way. Do you, do you find yourself trying to straddle both of those worlds? Uh, a little bit. Uh, recently, um, I did kind of bridge that fine art and commercial art aspect with uh, a friend of mine. Um, uh, Daniel Holter has a small record label and, and one of his, his uh, artists, um, this band called Field Report, which is a, a project by Chris Porterfield, and uh, he wanted me to do an album cover. They really liked a lot of my fine art and wanted to see about doing something that for this album cover. And it was interesting to take something that it started off as a very kind of personal kind of self-expression and then applying it to another challenge of somebody else's uh, expression. And again, going back to their lyrics and their songs and, and how what their the meaning of their project was and how my artwork would fit into that storytelling mechanism. So yeah, that's cool. It was, it was fun to kind of bridge both worlds. I had never really thought that I'd be able to pull that off, bringing my fine art into a commercial setting, but it worked great. And I love the, the piece here, you know, this. Let's take a look. Oh yeah. yeah that looks cool. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. We'll have to post a, a photo of that. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Um, so where do you think, you know, not not just in terms of of what COVID has done, but just the world in general. Where where do you think, you know, where are we heading heading as a as an industry, right? As 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 creative mm -hmm. people, as uh, designers, as creative directors, as you know, storytellers. Where, where do you think yeah. things are heading? Well, I think I think we're really. I'm very optimistic about where we're going. I feel like there are so many new new things going on in the world, you know, we are changing the way that we work, you know, because of COVID and the kind of new uh, kind of work from anywhere types of policies that are starting to be implemented. We're becoming a little bit more freer and in geographies and being able to tap into the best minds, no matter where people are at. So I feel like there's a lot of upside potential uh, for the direction of our industry. Um, I also see a lot of new technologies that are having a great effect on, on the business. Uh, one of the things that, that VSA Partners has been getting involved in with, and we just recently announced a, a partnership with Ripple, um, which is a leading provider of uh, enterprise blockchain. And we are going to be partnering up with them as their creative agency to help in the creation of NFTs. Wow. So. Yes, they'll be working with some other marketplaces and, and us as a creative partner to bring brands and artists into that uh, NFT space, creating things beyond what um, has been booming right now, which has been the, the art market, has been really adopting the NFT platform for many reasons. But we want to expand it beyond art and collectibles into thinking about experiences and how NFTs as tokens uh, allow you access into new communities and subscriptions, a whole wide range of opportunities for brands to connect to their audiences and communities. Yeah, you know, 
I have sort of a very, you know, obviously it's, it's very of the moment and, and I have a sort of a surface un- uh, understanding of what they are and how they yep. work, but it sounds like you've got a pretty good grasp on it. Um, I have a, a decent grasp. It's a new and evolving kind of, um, you know, digital kind of environment and yeah. It is a fascinating thing that I am just diving head first into. So I'm I'm very excited about the potential that it has beyond what we see right now. I think there is so much depth to the the activation possibilities, the way that brands could use NFTs to create experiences that really draw together their community of fans or um other like-minded people and you think about these these virtual communities that are starting to build up and how an nft purchasing an nft allows you access into a kind of a vip area of an experience so you think of any of the, the large brands that we have whether it be consumers like nike or something like that and how they could take advantage of this with their roster of, of athletes and and create these unique experiences for their fans yeah that's cool um, it's, it's certainly, you know, kind of like one of those things where it's, it's like, where, where can this go or what can we do? You know? And, and I, I guess in some ways it's the sky's the limit, right. And people are sort of making up as it, making it up as they go along. It is, it, it's a, it's a territory that we're all kind of trying to help shape the, the definition of, and it is at that very infancy right now that there is a, there's a lot of room to play, a lot of room to experiment and a lot of room to, um, a lot of potential. That's all I think, you know, I think there's so much potential right now. So, um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, of the upside. What's the what's the downside? Do you see any downside, not not specifically to NFTs, but just where, where we're heading? You know, what is, is there something that you think people need to be mindful of? I do think that, you know, one of the topics that we always talk about with um, a lot of the new work paradigms of working from anywhere, working remotely, is what is culture? You know, is culture, you know, people together in a physical environment? Can you build culture in a remote workplace? And I think that there are, we just think have to think about new ways of doing that, new ways of bringing people in and feeling inclusive uh, to the larger group to build that community. Um, so I think that's where we need to watch and pay it close attention to is that corporate culture and, and how do we stay together as a, a unified group? What is our ethos and that shared kind of camaraderie that we have? And can we maintain that working remotely? Yeah. And what is your, you know, it sounds like you're optimistic, but what, what, what's your guess? Is that it can be done? I think it can be done. I, I personally... I found the working from remote experience to be um, much more beneficial than any of the the negative uh, downsides of things. I find that I spend more quality time with my team. Um, It seemed like in the past, a lot of times, um, because I was going from meeting to meeting, I'd only get flybys with, with people here and there. And now I'm able to schedule a full half hour to sit down, review things, look at things, give thoughtful feedback. Um, I schedule monthly uh, check-ins with all of my teams to talk about their personal growth. Um, it's just more structured has given me a little bit more uh, involvement in a deeper level with my 
um, a team. So would you describe yourself um, more on the introverted side or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm a good listener. I think that's what makes me a good creative as well. Being able to listen and understand people Uh, as far as being that extrovert wanting to get out and around. uh, It takes a lot of energy to, to be on cue all the time. Uh, so I can do it for brief amounts of moment and then I need some break and I need a, you know, a little beer. And, uh, <laughs> sip well, that's, that's, it. that's interesting. Cause I have heard that from, uh, from other folks that, you know, people yeah. who are more on the introverted side, they, they love this environment. Yeah. And I, think it's, lot, I think a lot of, you know, designers and creatives, you know, we're visual and we got into visuals because we're not necessarily good with talking and words and language and communication. So visual was a way that we could express ourselves in a way that didn't require that kind of uh, same kind of, uh, um, I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> I okay. Lost my train of thought there. That's all right. And so obviously when you're doing a pitch, you got to kind of turn that on, right? You oh, got to, yeah. you got to turn it on, yeah. but it's, um, it, that's interesting to hear that it you know it, and it kind of ties back to what you were saying previously about your artwork right that it it yeah. sort of it's it's work and it takes it takes something out of you that's that's really yeah. interesting yeah i find that a lot of the creative work you know the visual work is very expressive you know it's it's just trying to get emotions out and trying to connect on that emotional guttural instinctual level um so trying to convey that back into words is another translation issue you know it's like how do we take that raw motion and put it into strategic terms right yeah yeah absolutely so when you think back on your career um you know who who have been your mentors what's the best sort of advice that they've given you something that you could you know impart on the on the, on the audience some some well, real good nuggets here well um Growing up, you know, with music and my my background in album design, my mentor was somebody that I I emulated and looked up to. I never had a chance to actually meet in person or, or talk to, and that was uh, Vaughn Oliver uh, and his work for uh, the 4AD record label back in the 80s, creating great album covers for like the Pixies and uh, Cocktoo Twins, Dead Can Dance, whole roster of things. I learned the design craft by by emulating his his style. And I came to understand and learn all about typography and color and composition through a lot of those things, just analyzing them. But it was interesting because uh, it gave me a groundwork and an opportunity to get into a field that has led to where I'm at today. Um, but there was a point um, when I had to stop looking at his work. And it was because I'd been, I was, I was in my early 20s and, and just starting out trying to figure it. And, and I had gotten a feedback where someone had called me out about, oh, your stuff looks like Vaughn Oliver's work. And that's when I realized I need to have my own voice. I need to stop looking at somebody else's work and take my own take on things and have my own, my own voice. Um, so that was a huge thing where uh, looking at his work and experiencing music through his eyes really gave me a sense for 
how the different design elements like type and color and photography could really bring emotional engagement. You know, we all stood, you know, back, you know, in our kids looking at album covers and just looking at the liner notes and the artwork as we're listening to the music. And it really captured uh, our imagination, I think, that kind of connection between art and music. And there was something about it. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, I miss it as a, as a, you know, consumer of that stuff. I'm sure that you miss it just as a, as a designer, because I, I, it sounds like so much fun and we don't have that. I mean, I guess there's, there's sort of things that are taking the place, but I don't think you'll ever, nothing can take the place of listening with headphones on yeah, looking at the liner notes and wondering, you know, especially I used to geek out over who they talked about, who they mentioned, right. And who are these people and who are, why are they thanking this person versus that person? And, lyrical differences I would sometimes find and wonder, well, how did that happen? And it was just such a great experience. And that is kind of a bummer that that doesn't exist as yeah. much anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's new avenues and things that I find intriguing. You know, you think about like Spotify and, and seeing on Spotify, some of the kind of video things that go along with songs and, right. and how they're starting to create different ones for each track. So I think there's potential there, um, but it is, a, it's a different experience. So that, yeah. It's still fascinating. Yeah, but I do agree that those that's kind of what's replacing that in a sense. Yeah. And now, I mean, just like, you know, kind of tying it back to what you were saying earlier. I mean, is there an opportunity for those things to be NFTs in some ways, right? Or yeah, totally. so, yeah it, it's it, it, again, that whole thing is it's, yeah. it's hard to wrap my brain about but around, but I'm sort of I'm getting it. I'm going um, to steal that idea. I'm going to write that down. So. <laughs> do it. Do it. Um, so getting back to what you were saying about, you know, mimicking or emulating, right? Yeah. Yep. This is something that I think a lot of people dismiss or they think that it's um, it's not uh, the appropriate thing to do. But that's everybody, anything that we've seen has been done, right, in some way. Yeah. So I think the whole idea, and, and others have said this as well, is it's it's really about the combination of things, right? Cause everything has been done. Right. But it's like, okay, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to sort of find something new here. Exactly. So it sort of drives me a little bit nuts when clients will say, well, I want to see, you know, it's, it's, I want to see something that's never been done. It's like, well, <laughs> a that is not necessarily smart because now you're asking the consumer to try to yeah. make sense of something they've never ever seen before as opposed to maybe showing yeah. them something that feels somewhat familiar, but fresh in some way. Yeah. Right. But um, you know, what, what do you, obviously you make, you sort of uh, mentioned the story about making this artist, yeah. but what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, early on in my career, it was helpful for me to see other people that were doing things right. Uh, and to be able to learn from the way that they were approaching art helped me understand how they were using elements to convey certain emotions or thoughts or themes. So that was really good to, to try to understand the basics of, of design. Um, but there comes a point when you do need to have your own ideas. And like you said, that, that unique kind of perspective to connect disparate dots where, oh, I may take a little bit of this style and a little bit of that style because it'll unveil 
something that hadn't been thought of that still seems appropriate to the solution we need to achieve. I don't want to create new things just for newness sake. It has to be appropriate to the solution. Um, but mimicry gives you the ability to start to dabble in different styles and increase your repertoire of the tool sets that you have available to you. Um, VSA is not a, a company that has a house style or anything. We believe that we should be, you know, formed in the image of our clients, you know, trying to understand who they are in creating art and design that is reflective of their nature. And that may be taking these disparate things to create new things that is wholly appropriate for them. Yeah, absolutely. So we've come to that time in the show where we've got to pay off the, the title of the show, Confessions of a Creative Director. So this is, this is your time to get something off your chest or share something that maybe you've never shared or just, you know, what, what do you got? What do you got for us? Okay, so you're looking for some juicy, juicy bit, uh, little tidbit here. Um, so going back to my early part of my career, when I had just started at VSA, well, one of the things that was interesting is that, you know, I had come from this music background and then going into this very kind of corporate world. And it was fascinating to me. I loved learning about this whole new world out there of corporations and different businesses and different industries, whether it's technology or healthcare or agriculture or industrials. Um, so it was, it was a whole new thing. Um, but one of the things that it brought good and bad was I was very excited about a new project that I had just been given. And it was working with a brand for a company that I really liked the industry. I had a passion for it. And so it was very near and dear to my heart and I was excited about it, but I was also a little intimidated. I was a young designer. I wasn't really familiar with this category and I was feeling a little bit, you know, out of place. Like I really, I don't know how I got into this room, but I'm here and I was feeling a little insecure about it. And I, I had the opportunity to, to work on a photo shoot for this client. And I had gone there and I hadn't been really maybe explained the, the depth of the shoot and understanding all the background of it and the complexity of it. And, and I was getting asked a lot of questions all at once. And it was a little overwhelming. And, and, and I really just started to get flustered. And, and again, that kind of insecurity about not feeling you know, like I was smart enough, that I was like talented enough and that these people had had knowledge about their industry that I didn't have and I, I, I didn't want to fake it, you know? Um, and, and, and I kind of flustered and I was like, I just need to take a moment. I need to collect my thoughts. I need to think of this. And it was just that, that showing of that insecurity and that kind of flusteredness that, that got the client kind of spooked and was like calling my boss and like, who did you send here? And they're not prepared for this. They're not really up to speed. And, and it was my opportunity that I really wanted, I was passionate about, and I felt like I failed. Yeah. And it really taught me this lesson of confidence and that I had been hired by VSA because of my skill set and because of my uh, abilities. And that I should trust in that fact that if they see that in me and if they see that I am you know, capable of going on this thing for a client, 
that I should own that. I should own that uh, uh, that uh, self-assuredness and that confidence. And I think that is something that we get into our head a lot. You know, everyone has that kind of imposter syndrome kind of thing, but you have to know that you are at the company that you're at for a reason. You were hired because somebody believed in you and saw something in you that held great potential and that you should also believe in yourself uh, just as they do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, that's the the number one um, confession typically has to do with that kind of uh, imposter syndrome. So it sounds like confidence, but then you also um, mentioned previously about just making sure that you know everything about what's going on, right? And what's going to happen and just being sort of prepared. Preparedness is something that I think is key. You know, I think every time I go into a presentation, I'm always spending the night before practicing, making my notes, making sure that I have all my talking points in line. Rehearsal is something that I don't enjoy, but I find very beneficial. It helps you to kind of organize your thoughts so that when you're in the moment, you can think of these things without too much um, referring back to notes, et cetera. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, hopefully, you know, getting it out there uh, makes yeah. you feel a little bit better. But like, like I said, and, and I think you've listened to some of the episodes. I mean, that's the number one yeah. thing. I know that 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 still happens to me as well, right? Where you're just yeah. kind of like, do I know yeah. what I'm ta- do I know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, I do. I've been yeah. doing this for a long time. So, uh, but anyway, thanks for being on the show again. Uh, welcome to California. Um, uh, let's let's uh, keep the conversation going. Thank you for sharing yeah. your your uh, your knowledge with us and and just sort of your point of view. And uh, yeah, let's keep in touch. Yeah, thanks for having me, I appreciate that. This has been fun. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I do want to get together. Let's uh, let's hang out. I hear that you're in LA, so let's do that. Let's do it. All right, Tom. We will cool. talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. See ya. And there you have it, folks, another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. Thanks to my special guest, Tom Wolf, Executive Creative Director at DSA Partners. What a great conversation. I mean, how cool is it? This guy's got a Grammy for artwork design for the Material Girl. I mean, come on. It doesn't get much bigger than that. I also really um, enjoyed that last section there of, of him, you know, sharing... Um, his his imposter syndrome and, and just about having confidence right in yourself and realizing that uh, the company that you're at they they have faith in you they hired you for a reason you know what you're doing lean into the confidence and uh, you can get it done so I really appreciated that little uh, final nugget there well that does it for now I'm going to play you out with a song from my very first record. Now that I think about it, maybe I should have Tom go back and uh, redesign the artwork for it. (laughs) Uh, But this is the first song from my very first record. Uh, It's called Crushed. So until next time, peace and creativity.
should know she thought I was the one. Took up for granted like the warmth from the sun. 